Father, as we gather together, that is our heart cry this morning, that we need you. Lord, the deepest desire of our heart, that's the heart cry of each and every one of us, that we need you. And we thank you that as we call out to you, you answer. He answers. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks to the musicians and singers for serving us so well this morning. This a short session. This very same band was playing the morning where we didn't have a sermon. I think they were a bit concerned we didn't have one this morning as well. But I've moved back a little bit because I've been told not to go too near the front because there could be feedback from our um, microphones and all the rest of it. So it's not because I don't like you. I don't like you, but that's not the reason why I've moved back. It's just struck me when I was considering this morning, here we are on the 3rd of April. 27 years ago to the day, a team of us were on the uh, shores of the Adriatic waiting to cross into Albania. That was our very, very first trip team across to Albania. And 27 years ago, we were waiting for someone to come from the British consulate to try and help us with the last-minute paperwork to get us across. This was the day before mobile phones, and we were going into the unknown. And that was the beginning of an incredible adventure for us as a people. And when we talk about, you know, having a world vision, that isn't something that we've just sat back and thought, well, let's think about it from here. We've actually had people who go into the world, and we've made an impact in many, many nations. We have Jane. Where's Jane? Weren't you our very first member to go to Albania? And Yes. And help deliver a, a baby, is that correct? Who is... Called Jane. Yay! <clears throat> so if you're pregnant here this morning and you feel a quick delivery coming on, Jane's the person to go to. But of that first team, we still have four of us who are here in Emmanuel. So if you were part of that very first trip in 95, would you just stand up, please? Hey! <clears throat> You know, here we are, 27 years on, the journey that God has given us really is fantastic to see what God has done opening up the nations, but also to the many nations represented here among us this morning. So if the United Kingdom was not your place of birth, would you stand if it was not your place of birth? Hey, come on, give them a very warm welcome. Oh. Thank you. And we have many of the continents represented among us. And I want to welcome Dr. Susan. Hey, stand up, Dr. Susan. Now, Susan, make the most of it because this doesn't happen every week. You know, uh, Susan is here as a medic at the hospital. Thank you, Susan. And she's a friend of Finney. And Finney sent a message saying, will you please contact her and, and look after her? And of course, if Finney sends a message like that, you cannot disobey. So it's great to have you with us. And God has got all of these connections right across the world. 
and it's so thrilling to be part of what God is doing. Now, how, now this morning we come to our last in the series of Jesus and what, looking at the various titles given to Jesus. And this morning we're looking at the great high priest. We should have looked at this a few weeks ago, but things didn't quite uh, go in that way. But this morning we are going to get to look at Jesus, the great high priest. And the essential text for this is the book of Hebrews. So if you want one text, just look at the chapters of Hebrews because it is full of Jesus and what he has done for us and mentions him as the great high priest. So let's start at Hebrews 4, a familiar passage. (laughs) I thought when Ian read this out first thing, I thought, well, let that be the sermon. Yeah, you'd be disappointed, wouldn't you? Or not. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Now, when we start to look at the whole uh, topic of Jesus, the great high priest, it could take weeks and weeks and weeks to unfold what the book of Hebrews says about Jesus and this role. Um, So it's a very brief summary, and hopefully some of the key points of Jesus being the great high priest for us. And we, we were... Reminded by Becca some weeks ago that the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Christians who had a tremendous Jewish background. They understood they may well have been Jews who would become Christians, but whether they were Jews who would become Christian or not, they had this understanding of Jewish religion, uh, ritualistic religion. That was their background, so the writer is writing into this, and he's using everything that they knew of the past to tell them what Jesus was doing for them now and in the future. He's taking, the writer is taking their experiences, and he's using it to help them come to a deep understanding of who Jesus is. And for anyone with a history within Jewish religion knew that the role of the priest was essential to the religious life of the community. Now, we've lost that in our community. We, we simply don't think in that way. But for the Jews, that the place of the priest was incredibly important because the priest was there to offer the sacrifices required by God on behalf of the people. And you take the priest out and some other means had to be provided. But for them, they couldn't do without the priest. He laid the heart of how the people of God were to approach God himself. But Jesus isn't just described as a priest. He's described as the great high priest. And this goes way back to the book of Exodus and Aaron, the first high priest who was appointed High priest, and we can read of that in Exodus chapter 28. And the most important duty of the high priest was to conduct the service on the day of atonement once a year on the day of atonement. He was allowed to enter the most holy place 
to go behind the veil into the most holy place, the very dwelling place of God, and there to make atonement for the people. So he made a sacrifice in that context for himself and for the people that they might have their past sins forgiven. And again, just read through the book of Exodus and you will see just how important it was for the the priests to fulfill their role according to God's desire. And it's this ministry that the writer of Hebrews is comparing Jesus. And here we can see that the priest is in this interesting role. He represents mankind to God, but also God to the people. And one of the roots of the word priest is bridge builder. And there, the priest is bringing heaven and earth together, man and God together. And of course, in Jesus, we have that supreme sacrifice on the cross, where Jesus, nailed to the cross, brings heaven and earth together in a way that had never been achieved before where he becomes that bridge over which man can pass in order to have fellowship with God. And you know, that is the most incredible thing. That Jesus himself, he is not only the priest, but he is also the sacrifice the priest offered. And so everything comes and finds its fulfillment in Jesus, and he stands there as the living bridge. He is the supreme bridge builder between man and God, and God and man. Jesus, the priest and the sacrifice, all in one. Hebrews 10 says this, and it's referring back to the priests of all, but then comes and refers to Jesus. Day after day, the priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But, but when this priest, and this priest is Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He offered himself once and for all. So as Jesus died on the cross, there is no need for any further sacrifices. In fact, the sacrificial system of Israel came to the end in AD 70 when the Romans flattened Jerusalem. But there is no further need for a sacrifice because Jesus has achieved all that is needed on the cross. And we today gather in the glory of what Jesus has achieved. We need to be those people who shine with the goodness of Jesus, who shine with the grace of Jesus in a world that is so, so dark. So Jesus, as the high priest, as the sacrifice, He makes that sacrifice once and for all. And then it tells us, having made that sacrifice, he sat down. This indicates that the work of salvation was finished. He sat down. It was 
complete. He sat down at the right hand of God, declaring that salvation has been won for us and for all mankind and for all who would call upon his name. There's no more to be done in terms of earning or working for salvation. Jesus has done it. He sat down. It was finished. But I began to wonder, what is Jesus doing now? And Scripture tells us two things that Jesus is doing now. And the first is this. He is waiting. It says, since that time, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's waiting. Now, there are different ways to wait. There's the sort of wait when you wait and you hope the bus will turn up. Or you hope the train you're on will actually get you to where you want to be on time. You hope that the aeroplane that you are waiting for will actually take off and arrive safely. And that's, that's, there's that sort of hope where you're, you're never quite sure. Now, when we read of Jesus waiting, it is not some sort of wishful thinking. It is a waiting in that deep assurance that the Father will fulfill everything that he has promised. That all of Jesus' enemies will one day be put under his feet and he will reign and rule across the world. It says he is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. The plan and purpose of the Father will be fulfilled. But the second thing is the thing that really excites me about uh, what Jesus is doing now. Because it says in Scripture that Jesus is praying for us. And I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about the, the, that, what that actually means. That Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has given all for us, is praying for us. And it doesn't mean he's just praying for, you know, that group called Christians. I believe when it says he's praying for us, he's praying for each one of us by name because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He's presenting our needs. He's presenting us to the Father in prayer. Jesus is praying for you. Now, when you get downcast, anybody here ever get downcast? I see three honest people. When you get to that end, when you get to that point, you need to remind yourself that Jesus is sitting in heaven and he is representing you before the Father as he prays for you. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Romans 8.34 Christ, who died more important than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf. But what's he praying for? And I think this is where perhaps our desires are a little different to his. You know, we can think of all of the things. If I said... What's the one thing you would like God to do? It might probably be very different to what we actually, what Jesus is praying for. So, for instance, he isn't praying that we might win the lottery. 
Now, it might help if you bought a ticket, but that's another matter altogether. He isn't praying that we might become rich in material wealth. He isn't praying that we even have an easy life. Because when you look at those followers, first followers of Jesus, and across the world now, Jesus never promises an easy life. So what is it that Jesus is praying for? What is the overriding concern of the prayer of Jesus as he represents us before the Father? And John 17, which has been become known as the high priestly prayer, contains, I think, the essence of what Jesus is praying for on our behalf. And we need to look carefully at John 17 as the great high priest represents us before the Father. Now, we haven't got time to look at all of John 17, but I want to bring just a few things out of this for which Jesus is praying. So if you go home, your homework is to read John 17, and you'll find the first thing Jesus prays for is that there is unity among the people of God. Now, I bang on about unity week after week, month after month, because it is an essential to any community functioning as God wants it to function. We all know the results of disunity within a community. It's painful. It's hurt. We know the, the results of disunity within a family. It's hurtful. It's painful. And God so wants us to be united. He says that this unity of the Spirit is the thing that enables us to appropriate His promises as we move forward in all that God has got for us. So it's essential that we maintain the bonds of unity between us. And that does not mean that we all agree. It means that we actually can agree to disagree and work forward to the greater purposes of God. You see, you'll never find a church that does everything the way you want it to be done. You'll never find that. Some people are looking for that. You'll never find it because that's not who we are. But we can work together and see God's plans and purposes come about. Jesus prays that we are protected, but protected from disunity, which is more dangerous to any local church than any persecution. And it is easy to say that when we don't face persecution. But the reality is that persecution of the church will tend to bring people together in unity. Whereas disunity within scatters us and harms us at the very core and undermines who we are. It eats away at the very heart of the Christian community. And unity within the church, you know, begins with each one of us and how we relate together. And so each one of us, we can do things that will build unity or we can do things that build disunity. It's our choice. The words we say can bring unity or disunity. Our actions can bring unity or disunity. It's our choice. And God say, I want you to choose unity for that is the way to blessing. Unity, the bedrock. But then Jesus goes on and he says, I want them to experience and have a full measure of joy. Full measure of joy. And I believe this is what the psalmist is referring to in Psalm 23. Very well known psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Doesn't that speak of the joy of someone who is in a good relationship with God? And we, as the children of God, should have that joy that does not depend upon circumstances, but depends upon that deep relationship with Jesus, which remains firm regardless of what circumstances uh, we find ourselves in. Joy is that deep-down knowledge that Jesus has your life in his hands. That's the security of the Christian. You know, when you look at the world around us, I mean, what can you say? Who would have thought we would have been facing the things we're facing in 2022? But if we do not demonstrate the assurance of Jesus in our lives, the assurance that he brings, then we have no message to offer the world in which we live. We're just as confused and we're just as fearful as they are. To be honest, I am not fearful of the future. I have no idea what it might bring. We have no idea where the situation in Ukraine might lead. But I am not fearful because Jesus is with me. Jesus is with us. And regardless of what circumstances can throw against us, we have to have this joy based upon his presence within our lives and not blown to and fro by the circumstances that will change forever. As long as we are a lie, our circumstances will change. Many testimonies across this congregation where things have suddenly changed. Health has suddenly taken a downturn. But the reality is we can press through because Jesus is with us. Jesus lives within us by the power of the Spirit. And we can know his joy and his peace because those two are so uh, closely linked. Joy and peace. If you have joy, I believe peace will be there. And if you have peace, you can have joy, knowing that your life is safe in the hands of Jesus. So Jesus prays for unity. He prays for joy. But then as we look at John 17, he prays for something else, which is a greater revelation of himself and his glory. And this, I believe, is what we as a community really need to press in on. And as we gather together week by week for prayer in the foyer before, it's, it, that is the constant theme, that we're praying for a greater revelation of Jesus among us. Because the reality is we do not want to be a community that does not encounter Jesus. We want to be a community that encounters him every time we gather in groups large and small so that we're not living in a meeting mentality, wasn't it a meeting? You know, can't you can imagine going home? Well, wasn't that a meeting? You know, that's not what we want. What we want to be able to say, that was an encounter with Jesus in, among his people, and I can tell you the result of that encounter. As I receive greater revelation of who Jesus is, as I see greater things in him, as I have a greater understanding of his glory and his purposes, we need to be praying for that greater revelation as Jesus is praying that for us. Now, if Jesus is praying it and we're aligning our prayers with him, that prayer will be answered. Because Jesus is always faithful to his word. And as he prays for us, he wants us to have a greater sense of his revelation, uh, of revelation of him, his presence revealed among us in ever-increasing measure. His presence, as I've said many times, makes the difference between a meeting and an encounter. And we want to be a community that encounters Jesus. 
We don't just speak about him. We don't just have these sort of airy-fairy thoughts about him. We want to encounter him, just as we encounter one another. And as we encounter Jesus, you know, he might say things we don't like to hear. Has Jesus ever said something to you you don't want to hear? So it's not a question of hearing nice, pleasant words. It's a question of hearing what Jesus, the risen Savior, has to say into my life today. And as I receive that revelation, I have a greater understanding of him. I have a greater understanding of his plans and purposes. So when we come to praying for greater revelation, the result of that revelation is faith. You see, when Jesus speaks into a situation, it creates faith within us to to press in and to see the fulfillment of that promise in a way that we didn't do before. And we need to be people who are receiving from Jesus day by day by day so that we can press on and see his promises fulfilled among us. Because when we have a revelation of Jesus, when we either see him in the Spirit or we hear his word, faith is the result. And we'll find ourselves acting in ways we never, ever thought possible. Because faith has allowed us to take steps we never thought possible. When we look at the stories of the great heroes of Scripture, they're doing things they never thought they would do. Why? Because God had broken in. Look at Paul on the road to Damascus. His life is transformed by a revelation of Jesus. He starts out breathing threats against the people of God. And he ends ends up being at the very center of God's purposes for his people. Did he ever think he would do that? No. What made the difference? A revelation on the road to Damascus. But God is speaking into the lives of his followers. Look at the stories of the gospel. Is Jesus speaking into the lives of his followers? Faith rises. And as faith rises, something else comes. Courage. So you've got faith will rise and courage will follow in order to enable you to do the things you never, ever thought you would do. Now, it's very easy to apply this to other people. Because I think the person you're sitting next to really needs to listen to this. The challenge comes is when we need to apply it to ourselves. That as I reach into Jesus for more of him, to hear his voice more clearly to see him with my spiritual eyes more clearly, to be aware that he is speaking to me, I need to have that courage to follow through where Jesus is leading. There's a very well-known passage in Proverbs, isn't there? Where there is no vision, the people perish. And as you look through the various uh, versions uh, that are available today, that is translated in a number of different ways. And there's one version that says, where there is no vision, the people decay. Now, vision is closely related to revelation. So imagine you could take that verse and say, instead of where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, the people decay. Where there is no revelation of the present Jesus among us, we will lose our way. One version says, where there is no no vision, the people wander away. Where the people, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. All of these things are referencing the people of God who are not living in the present revelation of Jesus to them in the now, 
And so therefore, they lose sight, they lose direction, and they lose that sense of purpose which Jesus wants for them. So when it says there is no revelation, where there is no vision, the people declare, do you know that is a constant challenge to us? It's a constant challenge to every community of faith. And, you know, brothers and sisters, we do not want to be those people who in 10 years' time say, oh, I remember the days. And it it is so easy to do. We don't want to be those people who can remember the glory days where there was a vision, there was a revelation of Jesus, and there was an excitement because faith and courage was uh, evoked among the people. We want to be those people who are constantly living that fresh, now revelation of Jesus so that we are constantly growing, developing, which is the very opposite of decay. And sadly, many of us have been in situations where the people of God have lost that revelation. They have lost that vision and they are living with decay and decline. The secret, the open secret to reversing that decline is to have that fresh revelation of God for themselves. And each and every one of us has a part to play in this. Each and every one of us can come to Jesus, the great high priest, and pray in accordance with what he is praying for. Pray for unity among his people. Pray for that joy to be released in and through us. And to pray that we might receive ongoing revelation of Jesus. Because no matter how much we've seen, no matter how much we have heard, there is more to see and hear. You see, this is the great thing about being in the Christian life. There is always more for us to receive. Jesus has done it all. And he wants to reveal himself to us more and more. We must not be those people who say, "Ah, I've seen enough. That is the death knell of the Christian community. Oh, God revealed himself 40 years ago. We live in that. Well, you can for a while, but it doesn't take you very far. We need to be living in what God is saying to us today through Jesus, that revelation of him. For we want to be a people who are united, experience that joy of the Spirit deep down, and have that ongoing revelation. And we stand together. Can we have the the music group? And I'm going to ask Let's just close our eyes and uh, I believe each one of us has a response here to make. Each one of us can do something in terms of our own prayer life as we come to Jesus again. Romans 12 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
we offer to God ourselves afresh today. I'm just going to ask Sally if she will pray for us, and then we're going into a final song. Yeah, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit searches the depths of God and makes those depths known to us. There is nothing about God that he is hiding from us. There is nothing that he is keeping from us. And he wants us to see him for who he is. He wants us to go on a lifelong journey of discovery after discovery of who he is. Mm. So I'm going to pray for us over a few areas of of revelation that, that I feel like God has highlighted to me. But before I do that, I actually want to challenge us about some areas that can block revelation. God does not hold back, but sometimes we can put things in the way to stop us receiving. So I just want to challenge you this morning. Have you accepted the status quo? Are you happy with things as they are? Have you lost the urgency to push deeper into God? Is there, is there pride getting in the way? Is there an area where you feel like you know it? Because if you know it, it's hard to receive what God is telling you about it. Is there an area of sin in your life that has caught your attention more than God has? Is there an area where you've grown cynical towards what God is doing? Because cynicism blocks what he wants to say to you. If any of those things God is is, uh, pinpointing this morning, this is an opportunity to lay that down. And it might be that God is highlighting something else to you. There is no condemnation. There is complete forgiveness. But can I just encourage you now just to lay those things before God because he wants you to receive revelation from him. He is not holding back from you and he has more for you than you can imagine. So Father, I want to pray, Lord, that you would just come and you would soften our hearts and you would open our minds. That we would begin to see the more of you. And Father, I want to, I want to invite you into, the, into our, into our thinking. Holy Spirit, would you stir us to look for more of you? Would you stir us to hear for more of you? And Lord, I want to pray that there would just be a spirit of revelation over this place this morning. That Lord, as we, as we look to you, we would begin to grasp who you are. That we would begin to grasp how good you are. That we would grasp how loving you are. That you do know us intimately. That you love to know us intimately. And Lord, I pray for anybody here who has not met you before. Who might be here this morning with questions asking if you're real. Lord, we know that the arguments don't give those answers. You give those answers. So I pray for anybody this morning who has never experienced you that you would make yourself known this morning, God. That you would give them a vision of Jesus. That Holy Spirit, you'd open their eyes to their Savior who loves them. 
And Father, I pray for those of us who have known you years. Lord, we have not discovered all there is to know of you. And Lord, I want to pray that you would give us a new vision. You would give us a new a new impression of who you are, God, that you would fill our minds, Lord Jesus, that our eyes would be more fixed on you than on anything that this world has to offer. And I pray that as we look at you, we would see you. We would see your face look gazing at us. We would see the expression of your face, the love in your eyes. We would hear your voice, Lord. We would know your power. We would know more than we could imagine that there is to know about you, that we would fall in love with you. You would be our first love, Lord Jesus. You would be our reason for everything because we would be so captivated by who you are. But God, as we look and as we discover more of who you are, Lord, I pray that we would we would be stirred with that revelation that that is who you are to our friends, to our families, to the people around us that don't know you, God. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us revelation of the call that is on us, the call to share you, the need that this world has of your goodness, the need that this world has of your presence, Lord. And Father, I pray that as we, as we grow in that awareness, we would grow in the revelation of what you have equipped us with for that job, Lord. That, Lord, that there is a storehouse in heaven with everything this world needs in, Lord. And that you have given us access to that, Lord. I pray, God, that we would have, we would have revelation of the blessings of heaven that you have made available to us. For us to then hand those blessings out to this world to bring that difference. And so, Father, I pray that as we get a, a bigger revelation of who you are, of who you have called us to be, and of your heart for this world, Lord Jesus, that we would we would just be so driven to make your name known. We would be so driven to demonstrate who you are, God. But Father, we would just be we would just be compelled be compelled by that vision to make that vision known to others. So Lord, we pray, come this morning and reveal the more to us. Reveal who you are. Reveal to us afresh that you are a mighty, loving God who saves. And that God, you have got a, a such a big heart for this world. So Lord, we pray, come and show us afresh who you are, God. As we go back and worship you, Lord, would we see you on your throne? Would we see you in power? Would we see your your majesty, your holiness? And let it captivate us, Jesus. Amen.